The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now. Selling hell rages on with two major headwind slamming stocks. First, Trump's trade war with China escalating. And second, the newly appointed Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying despite the market volatility in a weak jobs report today, that the Fed is still on track for three rate hikes this year. The Dow dropping nearly 800 points at the lows of the day, falling back into a correction territory. So with the Fed in full force and neither Trump or China backing down from potential trade war, the war on tech is raging on. Is there any reason to own tech stocks or stocks in general right now? Guy. Well, the answer is yes, there is. Clearly, we held a level that we needed to hold in terms of the S&P. This 2580 level, we bounced off it again. That's the good news. The bad news is we keep testing it. I'm glad you mentioned the Fed because this started, this move to the downside, the volatility in the market started long before tariffs. I heard you talk about it on Power Lunch today. Started, started before tariffs, ago, exactly. before Amazon, before Facebook. It started in early February when we had that Friday wage growth number, and the market's been basically going down ever since. I believe the Fed in play. Fed backs away, creates market volatility. Again, that said, I'm not trying to play both sides of this fence. We did hold the levels we needed to hold. Now, we could walk in mo Monday and this thing down another 500 points. We could walk in Monday, it's up 500. I have no idea, but at least you have some benchmark to trade against. Do we feel at this point that the Fed chair is not going to take into consideration the market volatility that we've seen as much as perhaps the Yellen Fed yes, had? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I don't, think, I don't think the White House cares about the market right now. In fact, Trump made some comments about that yesterday afternoon. Ah, the market's up 40% since I was elected and a little pain. You know, look, Powell and I think members of the Fed, I think the New York Fed has said this. I think they've made it very clear. They think what's going on in the markets is actually normal. Um, for people that haven't been around for the last 10 years, it actually is normal. For people that have been around for the last 10 years, it's actually really strange to have administration and also and, and, and a Fed that, that really doesn't care about the market. So Fed Powell um, on his way. Remember, folks, a growth scare is a lot worse than an inflation scare. And people were talking about today's non-farm payroll numbers as if, oh, is that the last gasp on this late cycle expansion? Absolutely not. Um, I, I think the, the macro didn't change that quickly. This is very much about the Fed. As guys talked about, um, I, I think the dynamic here with Washington is, is challenging. Trade wars are just one more thing. I bet by mid-next week we've well, got something else to worry about. Well, it might even be earnings. Tim, I, I really want to push back on one point, because if you go back and you look at the last cycles where we had tops in the market back in the 
Q1 of 2000 and also in Q3 of 2007, there was really no data to suggest there was going to be a growth slowdown. What really accelerated things through the course of 2000 and the course of 2007, 2008 was risk assets declining and then all the knock-on effects that happened after that. And I think that's a really important thing to remember if you want to like kind of just focus on history here a little bit. If the market started to go down and we started seeing pressure on risk assets, then you see a whole host of other knock-on effects. And I just don't think it's too – I think it's too early. But look at credit spreads. I mean, credit spreads haven't really blown That's out. That's right. Stocks uh, were very, very frothy going on. We had a bull off top on Jan 26. Uh, you know, look for – what is valuation support in the market? If you look at a forward multiple, you look at the five-year average forward multiple is roughly 16.1 times, right, forward earnings. Almost for the where we are right now. Close to where we are right now. You look at earnings estimates on a forward basis next year. I think consensus is 161. You do the math, you're basically right kind of where we are in the market right now, right where the S&Ps are. So you're making an assumption on an average multiple, five-year multiple, that we're trading there right now. This is not an average multiple market. We shouldn't be trading in an average multiple. I'm not sure what you're saying. Should we be trading? Valuation should be lower is what you're saying? You found, in my opinion, valuation support in this market if you do do the math. That doesn't make any sense to me, though, because you're telling me that Basically, we're, we're sort of at five-year average valuations right now. Average we multiples. are not in average multiples. And right. I would say that we are not in an average sort of market right now because right. the elevated risks from the Fed as well as I, trades. No, no, no. I no, disagree with that. Those are not elevated risks. I look at it and say I don't think the Fed's in elevated risk. I think earnings wow. are going to be an amazing, amazing uh, reporting season. I think Q1's going to blow out expectations. We know that, though. So How in about my Q2? Opinion, How I about- think that. What do you right. think the companies are going to get on the conference calls think, and say think, everything is rosy, no, I even though rates are rising? No, CEOs have already started to say they're worried. You're missing. I mean, you're, they're worried. The rate of change may slow down, but we're going to have a very, very solid. Hey, do you want to tag out, brother? Huh? Tag out. Tag out. Tag out. Tag out. Guys, join in the conversation. This side of the desk. This side of the desk. Tariffs in China. Dan's about to go up. So let's say the Fed doesn't matter. I'll play the game. But you don't agree. You play that game begrudgingly, correct? Only I played begrudgingly. August 2015. Anybody remember? I remember. What happened? Chinese devaluation. Look at Dan Nathan knows. Think about what's in their arsenal now. They could absolutely, absolutely. do it again. 100%. No question. And that's what, that was a risk that I've even stated. I've said it before weeks ago when we were talking about this investigation. I would say there is, they have you know, weapons in their arsenal react. But I'm saying from a valuation perspective on this market, we are at an average valuation over the last five years. This is not an average market, in my opinion. Shouldn't there be uh, the a discount rate, evaluation to take into consideration the risks in the market? Of course there should be. Well, we moved we're, on we're from not, this. We're not, we just I, 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 well, I'll tell you what. On. I'm very happy that we've got a fantastic technical guy coming on because the other dynamic here, folks, is people that say, hey, we held the 200 this week. That is not a reason to, to be excited. In fact, we keep oh. challenging the 200. The, the, if you look at the downward sloping 50-day, if you look at the technicals, we're making lower highs. There's nothing about the technicals that's very bullish here. And, and that's just adding on. Again, I think technicals are price takers. Right. This might actually make him angry, that great uh, technical guy. But ultimately, I think the fundamentals are telling you that equities need to drift lower. Dan. Mm. Okay, guys. All right. So, but I, I mean, listen, I, the valuation, I just want to like put something on valuation. I guarantee you at the tops in 2000 and 2007 that the forward estimates for growth year over year were double digits. I, I just guarantee you, and they collapsed. So looking forward, I, I don't think that's a great argument um, at the end of the day. I, I think the technicals are becoming so very important. I think sentiment's really important. I actually think the White House had a hard hard week. This was Larry Kudlow's first week. I thought Peter Navarro going back and forth. I think that is the pinpoint for all the volatility that we had. Whether you think that there's a high probability of tariffs or not. The White House has had so many, I'll call them volatile weeks. 
Um, I think no, they've no, had no, a lot but, of weeks. But, but come on, well, Tim, Tim, you're going to tell me that this no, week, no, I just mean on this very it's the market guys, though, guys, that makes it a bad Just through the market lens, I think given what we heard from Mnuchin, given what we heard from Navarro on a couple of occasions, given what we heard from Kudlow, he was going back and forth. Right, it was a real disaster. Which is, exactly, which disaster. is exactly my point. The confusion is activating uh, the tape reading algos. The quantitative strategies are ruling the roost. You've got passive money ruling the roost as well. So those two categories are, are sort of in control of the marketplace. The fundamental investor, you look at the big mutual funds. Isn't passive funds money actually a... a, a passive a, money is retail a, money. Is it, but isn't passive, passive money mo- is going through ETFs. But isn't passive money actually something that should be helping the market right now? I, Shouldn't that be a stabilizer for no, people because, that are not overreacting because you're for having, people no, that because think it's always going to go higher? In my opinion, it's very emotional. You've got emotional aspects to that that are I, you have to back that out. You look at the big institutions and say, what are they doing right but now? if you're passive, are you're they, not trading oh, on a down day. Are they, selling, are they selling out of the core positions that they've supported over the past X period of time? in technology, and you could break it down. You could look at the most crowded trades, which were mostly dislocated. They, they were the ones in tech that got slammed the most this year, and I guarantee you, or this week, they're gonna be the ones to rally back the fiercest when this dislocation okay. from the quant strategy is over. Here, here is the ultimate question, I think, that, that I think investors have been asking themselves over the past, not just one month, but probably two months since the beginning of February, yes. and that is, where valuations stand right now, whether I look at a backward-looking or a forward-looking PE, do they take into consideration the risks that I'm facing in the market? Right? Because, because that's why, in part, we saw the sell-off that we've seen Look, in I, Boeing. I mean, these are all, you know, story we, stocks as well. But there were high valuations. We haven't had too. this elevated a period of volatility since the first quarter of 2016. And I remember... Ten weeks ago, when we started to get some of this, and everyone said, oh, vol's no different. It's going to go back down. Or this actually has no measure on equity valuations. It's totally the opposite. Uh, and you can't price stocks at the same environment in, you know, with, with the vol at 24 than you can when it's at 9. I agree with Tim. And I'll say it one, one more time. It's, it, this started long before we talked Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and tariffs. There's something more going on here. And what's going on is the Fed is changing course. That's a huge deal, in my opinion. Well, all the selling sent the S&P to a crucial level. What is it? What does it mean for the markets? Chartmaster Carter Worth of Brax, of a Cornerstone Macros over at the Plaza to break it all down. Hi, Carter. Thanks for all the love, guys, and referring to somebody coming up next. But uh, let's talk about it. There, look, investing is a value proposition. There's uh, the promise of value to be delivered at some point in the future. It's also a confidence proposition. And confidence is being shaken. There's erosion going on. In terms of technicals, what we know... I mean, I don't draw the lines. The lines are what they are. And we know that the stock market over the last two and a half years has quite precisely bounced off of this trend line over and over. On February 9th, it plunged there. And the defect here is that we're back to the line. We, we, after bouncing, we did not make a new high. We've come back to the line, and ever so slightly, we're below. But here's the real story. That's the market. What if I do the equal weight S&P? So now we give Foot Locker and Chipotle the same weight as Amazon and Apple. Here we go. And this, then, is the true story. On the equal weight index, we have already broken trend. Let's do it again. Ready? Back to the market as we know it. Market cap weighted. Top 10 names are 25% of the weight. It's hovering at the line, ominously. And yet the equal weight, the real story of the average stock, is that we're already breaking. That's not great. Let's look at a longer-term pattern and maybe figure out where we might be headed. Here is the chart of the S&P from the 09 low. It starts in 08. And here is the channel in which the market has been ascending, virtually without 
any problem. Off the low in 2011, stopped here again and again in the high, almost got down to the low. So we blew through the top of the channel, and now we've come right back to the top. I'm thinking just as a minimum that we get to the midpoint of the channel. So that would imply we've already dropped 11.84% peak to trough. That would just imply a 15% move. That's nothing. And that would actually put you in the middle. And if you want to be more cautious, of course, you'd make the bet that perhaps we're going to come down to the bottom of the channel. But this is a period where I would think it's good to be cautious, to be reducing exposure, not, quote, by the dip. Carter comes over. Oh, come Unilateral on. decision. Thank you, Ryan. We have been. We've been talking about him. We've been. Well, you've been talking about him. I don't know if you've been waiting for him per se. Um, some people will say that this week, uh, one characteristic that has run throughout the week is that there was almost no volume, very, very light trading. Does that matter in this analysis? Well, remember, in individual securities, there's plenty of volume, right? Things that, that get repriced aggressively down or up. In aggregate, yes, volume has been light, but that's been with us for months, if not years. I think there's, there's this. The volatility is, well, put it this way. If one is sitting here with cash and this kind of, my gosh, I didn't look for a day or two. The Dow's up a thousand, down a. Is that the kind of behavior in markets that encourages the retail investor to say, "Let me get some of that"? No chance. Yeah, it makes them want to stand back, take a different view. It speaks to what you would for early in the week, where is this? What multiple do you assign to equities and asset class when the volatility is that high? It, it just doesn't induce people to want to embrace the. So, so Carter, let me ask you this because it's obviously been a fabulous bull market that's lasted from the bottom in March uh, 2009. A lot of people will say another leg started in 2013. Just. You know, looking at that long-term uptrend, okay, and if you take the intersection of the 2016 breakout, you get to about 2,200. Just optically, if we were to go back to 2,200, it's about 25%. Is the bull market still intact? Like, could that be a correction that's the ultimate buy opportunity? Sure. What's and, interesting and, is the midpoint of that channel right, yeah. of the, oh, is 2,400, and 2,200 right. is the actual bottom of the channel. You'd, in principle, still be... Would channel. you be jumping up and down bullish if we went there for, it, like, bad yeah, reasons? So here's You're, what it is. What, what the tell for that will be, it's how individual securities in a drawdown of that magnitude act. Are there, are there leaders, right, or are certain stocks resisting that? But if it's just classically dumping all cyclicals and defensive is playing well, then there's no way to know whether it stops there or not. Hey, Carter, one question. False signals from quant funds from the, the activity in these tape-reading algos forcing the market in a direction one way or the other, just on light volume and just on reaction. I mean, how much of an impact has that had on... Sort oh, of it has an impact not only on people trying to yeah. square off their DCF model, it has an impact on charts and everything. everything. But this is the world we're living yeah. in. We know that, what, six, seven hundred billion left active managers in the last 18 months and went to passive or systematic. It's, yeah. it's part of the landscape. I love Carter's work. He should just stay. I mean, what do you got coming up? He's actually up? going to... Uh, we're going to see him in options action. <laughs> he should just stay, yeah. sit there. I mean, he yeah. sits there anyway. <laughs> I will say this. Tim makes a good point. I brought out 2580 because we bounced off it a right. couple times. But I also say the market doesn't give you a long time to sell the highs or buy the lows. And we're hovering around these lows for quite some time. The in, my inclination would be there's another wave lower. I think that's what Carter said. And I saying. think what's important is, you know, the concept of, 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 of testing a low, right. you know, and the double bottom and that kind of thing. That's a quick thing. You can't sit there and hover at the low, hover at the low. Then the tension to bounce is, is, is sort of removed. Ah. And I would be with Guy like lower. All right. Carter, thank you. Thanks, Carter guys. Braxton, worth a cornerstone. We'll see him later on Options Action. Love Coming it. up, as stocks get slammed, about 8% of the S&P 500 hitting fresh 52-week lows this week. Guy here is going to tell us 
how to spot the stocks do for a turnaround. He's going to take us bottom fishing. Plus, there's one Dow stock that's just been getting crushed, but the chart master says the worst might be over. When you see the chart, you might be pressing the buy button, too. And later, bank stocks gearing up to kick off earnings season next week. There is one name the traders say is heading for a breakdown. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. What a wild week it has been on Wall Street. So wild that 38 S&P 500 stocks hit fresh 52-week lows. Here now with a look at those stocks is Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Bob. That's right, Melissa. 38 S&P 500 stocks, about 8% of the index hitting new lows this week. Among Dow stocks, pharmaceutical giant Merck and ExxonMobil, of course, the largest oil stock, both hit new lows. Among the other names hitting new lows, tech stocks like Juniper Networks and Advanced Micro Devices as well as Symantec. There was also a smattering of consumer stocks like Walgreens, Boots Alliance, Kraft Heinz, General Mills, and Haynes Brands, all on the new low list. Consumer staple stocks have been on the new low list all year since many are grappling with a lower value for their brand names. Also making the new low list, flooring manufacturer Mohawk, appliance maker Whirlpool, tire giant Goodyear, and construction firm Vulcan Materials. Financials had a tough day, but a notable rally in January has kept most of them off the 52-week low list, with two exceptions. U.S. Bancorp and Insured Chubb both hit new lows. Now, you might ask, why aren't there more 52-week lows out there? Because we're a very long way from a bottom on the major indices. The S&P 500 closed at 23.55, April 7, 2017. That's the 52-week low. To get to that low, we'd have to drop 250 points. That's a long way to go for the S&P. The Dow closed at 20,400 April 19th last year. It'd have to drop almost 3,500 points to hit that level. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. Tim, would you buy any of these uh, beaten down stocks? Well, I think financials to me uh, are defensive because I think the valuations are defensive. I think they're certainly going to do better in a higher rate environment, at least until credit starts to deteriorate. Um, I think some of the retail names also. I, I think first quarter numbers are going to be very good. That's a case where I think earnings can support, especially when this secular thesis was weighing these people down. I actually think they've been given new life. Yeah, right? retail I think is interesting because the early data suggests that March is actually a very good month. Considering the weather, that's actually incredibly bullish. So that's why we've seen a little bit more our performance, if you will, within certain names within retail. You know, Dan actually empties out his closet every he quarter. Does. He just cleans it out and gives no, retail. I, 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 so he I supports take out retail the bottom sales. 10%. I'm, <laughs> I'm moving on. With all please. these stocks hitting new lows, how does an investor go bottom fishing? Guy Adami should head over to the plaza right now, please. I'm going to do that, Mel. Yes. Because you said for Guy Adami to head the to the plaza. You know. That's the more you know music. And you know. We all love that music. And Tim, I'm sure you'll say something about bottom fishing. But how, to, how do you know when to go bottom fishing? So let's play our home <laughs> game here, shall we? New lows on four to five times normal volume. What does that mean in my world? That means you've seen capitulation. So if your stock makes a 52-week low or a multi-year low on four or five times normal volume, maybe everybody has said, no mas, enough. I can't take it anymore. That's a tell. Outperforms on a negative tape. We saw that recently in Red Hat a couple weeks ago. Now, the stock hasn't traded particularly well since. It hasn't gotten bludgeoned at, at all, all that much as well. So outperforms on a bad tape, that's also a good tell. And this is the one I like, because I'm really bad at this. Honestly assess the fundamentals of your company. Has something changed? Now, clearly something changed with Micron as we've seen the stock go from, I guess, the mid-50s down to current levels that we're seeing now. 
Something has fundamentally changed, but I was slow to figure out the changes taking place. You need to make an honest assessment. I'll tell you something, if you bottom fish, you catch some huge fish, Goliath grouper, amberjack, you know who don't fish? The Parisians don't fish, they got nowhere to go. But you're down in Florida, there's some huge fish down there. Back to you, Mel. Are there no fish in the sun? Uh, Dan, you have a question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, uh, great bullets there. Thank you, um, thank you, Dan. But here's uh, the thing. So does the stock have to be at a relative low? Like, for instance, Micron's still up 17% of the year, but it's down 20-some percent. I mean, does that factor into what you're doing? It hasn't. Well, that's a great point. I, you haven't seen that capitulatory bottom. To your point, it's still actually probably up significantly on the year, and it's nowhere near 52-week low. So well, I think the fundamentals have changed. That's one of the things we talk about. I don't think you're anything close to a capitulatory bottom. And I'll say this again. We talked about it last night. Micron specifically, it has to hold that November high, which is right here at 49-ish. Anybody else? Yeah. No? I, I, Go I, ahead, Tim. At, at what point do you, the, the laggards, those that have held in there, so in other words, those that have been more resilient, in many cases, those are the ones that actually have more room to fall a lot harder. They've been possibly better stories, but in this tape, people start to cut their flowers and keep their weeds. And, and, and I think that, I love that analogy. Cut Thank your, you. what was that again? Cut, cut your, your flowers, flowers keep, keep your, your weeds. weeds. I don't know about the whole weed thing. I know you're going to do a cannabis conference next week. We can talk about that. I'll say this. You're 100% right. If the tape really goes pear-shaped, nothing is impervious to pain. Hmm. All right. Thanks for that guy. The more you know. Coming up. Crypto stock long thin halted by the Nasdaq after the SEC cracks down after a wild week. We'll bring you all the details next. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Banks are getting crushed. And there's something in the charts that suggests even more pain next week. We'll tell you how to profit. Plus, yeah, that's what happened to industrials this week. But one name may have found a bottom. And we'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a quick crypto update here. Shares of the so-called crypto stock Longfin were halted today. The company was previously under investigation by the SEC, and is now the SEC is stepping in, freezing $27 million in stock sales from, quote-unquote, affiliates of the CEO at the company. Now, remember, we had the CEO, Ben Minabali on Fast Money earlier this week, after which the stock saw a major rally as he defended his company and denied selling shares himself. Take a listen to our exchange. Have you sold shares yourself? Have you sold shares? Because no. you're a major shareholder. I've Have you been? Did you sell shares at the top? I'm telling you, that's what. Because you came on the show and you said that the valuation was justified. I'm not going to sell the same statement I told on the same TV that I'm not going to sell next three years. I'm standing on my statement. While he personally may not have sold shares after the run back in December, looks like a number of his affiliates might have after the price was inflated from its blockchain acquisition. This was one of the most heavily traded stocks among retail investors and among the most dangerous, all the volatility in there, which is why we invited him on in December and again this week. Now, we wanted to expose what looked like questionable actions by a company trying to take advantage of the crypto fever. And it looks like now the SEC is taking action as well. Of course, we'll keep you updated as the story develops. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, I think high quality here. Home Depot's multiple has come back to a very decent place. Home Depot. Seaberg. Cash flow stories. Boeing. I'd be buying the weakness here in Boeing. Dan. Yeah, so Facebook, I expect more volatility with Zuckerberg on the hill next week. Stick around, OA. We're going to do a collar. Kind of protect your shares. Love that, OA. Yeah. What's up next? Guy? Come final away. trade. 
You know, people on me on Twitter, what's fundamentally changed in Micron? What's changed is pricing power seems to be waning. That's a fundamental change, you people out there giving me the hate on the Twitter. It's amazing the trolls on the Twitter. Or just inquisitive people. Or inquisitive people. I never get trolled. Do you have a final trade, Guy? Not health, Melms, is my final trade. Back to you. I'm Thank looking forward to Thank you very much. That does it for us here on Fast Money. You can catch us back here Monday at 5, but do not move. Options action starts right after this break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.